You are now listening to the 5 to 9 talk, where smart people make things simple. Ever wondered what it feels like to be in a totally different career from what you're doing now? I'm your host Claudio Porter and on this podcast I'll be speaking to various professionals who will cover the ups and downs of their career journey so you can have a glimpse of what's available out there for you. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to another 5 to 9 talk episode and today's special guest is Forens, our in-house recruiter. Welcome to the show Forens, how are you doing? Thank you, I'm doing good. Great, great. Nice having you here. How are you coping with the lockdown? Do you know what? It's been good. I feel like maybe, I don't know, I'm obviously in a very blessed position because I live with like my family. Um, so we've gotten to spend a lot of time with each other. We have lunch every day together. We nice, nice. Movies in the evenings. Um, getting to know them. I mean, not getting to know them. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. um, no, I feel like you um bond in a different way because you're really yeah. together. So it's it's kind of like yeah. a relearning. Sometimes you can be so busy, even if you live in the same house as people, you don't, you know, stop and yeah. yeah. So it's been good. It's been good. Definitely, definitely good to hear. Um, now before we start, as you may know, I'll need to ask our usual question which is uh, mm. if you have um, a favorite quote that you live by or you have a person that has had a good impact on you mm. by any chance please let us know so like my favorite quote that I kind of live by is one by a man called George Sand and he said there is only one happiness in life to love and be loved um mm. that's a that's a good one for me okay nice of humans we all want okay. to love. We all want to love. Well, no island. No man is an island. So that's a Definitely. big one for me. Um, a human that's had a lot of impact. I say my grandpa. Um, mm-hmm. He just. I think we had an instant connection from my birth, and nice. He's a really wise man, and he's taught me a lot of skills in life that um have carried me through um and i think grandparents always have more patience than parents as well so they do they do yeah, definitely, definitely. endless shenanigans <laughs> so yeah 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 yes. okay yeah great sounds perfect now just to understand you are an in-house recruiter mm-hmm. and uh, obviously for people who may not know what that is give just a brief description of of what the job entails so I think when you tell people you work in recruitment, they think of all these agencies that call you or like page personnel or um, right. like that. So in-house is very different, which is I work for a specific company. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're usually, when you work in recruitment, you're usually part of the HR, like the, the HR kind of umbrella. You're under that umbrella because you work right. with people. So um, I work for a specific company and I do the recruitment within that company. Um, okay. HR and then I drifted into recruitment and just decided that I loved recruitment. Recruitment. Okay. It, yeah, spoke to me. So that's kind of what I do. Um, okay. Recruitment has so many layers to it that people don't even think about. That mm. it's not just interviewing people and reading CVs. That's like such a small part of my role. Um, there's so much more to it. But yeah. That's, oh, okay. That's, 
Okay, and now obviously we can't we can't cover all of that no. as we as we talk on. Um, but let's take it back a little bit, a little bit, and let's understand um how come you chose a, a career in recruitment. You know what made you fall in love with you? Uh, where where did you start? So when I was going to uni, I kind of said I wanted to do law because law just looked glamorous it seemed <laughs> yeah yeah you obviously you don't know the ins and outs of what you need to do to be a lawyer so the more right. research I did I was like I'm actually not cut out for this like endless studying and all of this kind of stuff so I was like okay what else can I do and there's mm. so many like professions people don't even like know about or think about like I definitely so I started speaking to different people and I discovered a lot more about HR and I was like okay this seems more mean so I started okay. HR and I did I did HR like just HR for about two three years, mm-hmm. um, and then one of my roles actually I got promoted in one of my roles where I was doing a hybrid, because the recruitment side of that business needed a lot of support, so they had me in doing kind of like the basics of the recruitment, and I just enjoyed it I was thriving so I started to seek out more and more responsibilities in that team then eventually within that company I moved straight into recruitment and then after that I was just like this is what I want to do I think that I'm really big on human interaction right okay interviewing really spoke to me it was energizing project work as well I found it really really energizing a lot more energizing than just the HR side of things so that was what made me fall in love with it okay okay so initially you did start obviously as a human resource yeah in the in the first role um and how long did that last for then roughly so in that particular company i was working in the hr side of things for eight months and then okay the business kind so I've done HR for a year before that. So the further right. eight months. And then the business was kind of like struggling from the recruitment end of things. So okay. then like, would I mind picking up some recruitment processes? And I was like, no, I'll support obviously we're all one team. And then kind of like of course. It. Yeah. It of course. Just, yeah. So obviously I'm presuming that there is a clear cut or in terms of HR responsibilities and recruitment responsibilities. Um, do you mind speaking a little bit about that in terms of, okay, if someone wanted to follow your path or mm-hmm. get into um, either HR recruitment, what they can expect from either role? So it depends on the specific role you're doing, but let's start from like the bottom like so if we were to start from like the entry level so most Mm -hmm. enter hr as like hr HR admin or hr assistant admin and assistant are usually very similar in your roles um and then for recruitment you have like a recruitment assistant again which is quite similar so with those roles you're doing like the heavy admin side of stuff um especially hr that can be really for me personally, I find that, found that quite boring. So okay. um, sometimes it's like with the HR side of things, you're looking at putting in names and contracts. Um, if you have a contracting system where whereby you can just input the data and then a contract is generated, you're doing that kind of stuff. So my first right, okay. actually incorporated a lot of payroll stuff 
as well. That can be, if you're not really into numbers, that can be quite difficult. There are a lot of payroll submissions. Um, okay. So, so a lot yeah. of manual data entry work. A lot of manual data entry work mm-hmm. and a lot of kind of like um, just admin-y kind of things from the HR perspective. Um, okay. Then as you step up to coordinator level, so with recruitment, for, for the, that counterpart, you'd be looking at stuff like um, whether it be if they have interviews, so you'd be sending out the invites, you'd be, there's low candidate interaction, so you're mainly sending out invites for interviews, um, you don't really get heavily involved in the hiring process, um, Okay. and you're doing like the admin stuff, so if, if they've decided who they want to invite, you might also who they want to hire, you might then send information to HR it depends on how companies vary on who does that so that's the vibe so as you step up it's just say more responsibility so from a HR perspective you're looking at things like policies reviewing policies reviewing contracts maybe contract negotiations um I got to a point where I was dealing with grievances and kind of oh wow yeah it's and that stuff can be heavy you might mm. be um involved in what workforce planning um you you might have some involvement in things like um relocation negotiations there's, there's a whole array of things and companies vary on what you do i think the larger the organization the very structured it is in terms of ownership yeah. of responsibilities um but when a company's quite small or the HR department quite small, like lines get blurred. Um, so I've worked in companies where I was doing the exact same thing as like a HRBP, but I wasn't a HRBP. So it's okay. With recruitment as well, again, lines are really blurred because recruitment is quite a mod in-house recruitment. I think is quite modern. Um, I think most companies just, did it the old school way you know someone who knows someone who knows someone and then using agencies and now it's like no 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 they found out in-house recruitment is cheaper so that's the way so those lines are really really blurred but as you move up I guess on the food chain you can start doing stuff like interviewing um you can start doing training for managers I did a lot of training and I really loved that so I would train managers on like recruitment policies if the if the company rolled out a new recruitment process I would train them I did planning as well mapping um strategizing recruitment processes as well I've done um, okay but okay sorry just um is that something that anyone or people should expect or is it because of the fact that um you just enjoyed um the t- that type of work and you just thought okay let, I'll definitely pick you up so as I go along anyone looking in like HR is it really differs in companies and that's one thing I found so mm-hmm. the nature of HR as well it's very difficult to kind of like stay in a company for a long time because first of all HR job companies don't invest in HR so you find that to progress you tend to have to leave and um, even when you right. the company as well, a lot of the start times it's on like contracting basis. So I've done a lot of contracting, but I've been blessed in the sense that each time I've moved, so I've done like, I've had like year, year and a half, each time I've moved, I've progressed or I've progressed within a company and then decided I need even more and left. So that's been, like, that, that's the nature. But what I will say is each time you move, it's a different ball game. Okay. Okay. The company I work at is very structured in the sense that 
every team, because you've got the wider HR, then you've got many teams within that. Every team has exactly what they're doing. So there really isn't the, not that there isn't room to grow because you depend on your manager, your manager can put you forward for more project work. So I've been doing a lot more systems project work in this role, working with our specific HR system, implementing new ways of recruiting. So that's completely different. But in terms of like shared responsibility, a lot of times teams have what they're doing and they know what they're doing. So you're kind of good with that end. But then when I worked in my old company, because it was a lot smaller, um, HR, there was a really small number of us. It was just like all hands on deck. So I found myself exposed to more. But you have to have that element of enjoying it. Like if I picked up on the fact that my boss picked up on the fact that I communicated, I really like the training aspects. I like the interviewing. I like the planning of um, recruitment days. So I was able to get involved in those things. And she allowed me to get involved in those things. But so it just depends, to be honest. Depends. Yeah, sorry, go on. And the fact that obviously you worked in in both big and small um, type of structures, which one would you say you prefer moving forward? Ooh, it's a tough one. And I've had this conversation (laughs) so many times. Right. Salary-wise and infrastructure-wise, it's definitely better working in a bigger organisation. There's a lot of basic kind of like um, benefits I enjoy where I work now because it's a lot bigger they're they're a lot more structured Mm. but in terms of just learning and I wouldn't say feeling valued but in a sense yes my other company the smaller one was better because like I said it was all hands on deck so I was doing stuff that would probably wouldn't have and it put me in a really good position to look for another job like I wouldn't have gotten this job without that experience so I guess I yeah. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. And I think, I guess, um, in a smaller company as well, you can get um, noticed a little bit more than... Yeah, yeah. It's easy. Like I had I had loads of like hiring managers who would go to my manager and be like, you know, she's an absolute gem. She's amazing. She's this, she's that kind of thing. Whereas when you're in a larger company, you can just become a number doing, you know, your, your day... No, I wouldn't say day-to-day because no day is the same, but... Yeah, it's it depends on what you're looking for and what's more important to you. But I would say everybody should definitely experience working in a smaller company at some point in their HR life because it it's difficult sometimes to get that experience unless mm. you've been put in a situation where you can get that experience. Right, right. And and the fact that you you just mentioned obviously it's difficult to get that experience. So how would someone um go about it in terms of okay, I've just finished uni or, you know, I just want to change my career to um, HR or slash recruitment. How would they uh, put themselves forward when they when they don't have any experience at all? Yeah. So I wouldn't really... So when I was looking for jobs, I actually avoided, um, like, grad scheme roles. I don't know if this is the best advice, but I'd just say what worked for them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. I awarded them because they were really low paid for HR. So like when right. I, when I was looking, I was I was like on seeing eighteen k as starting for like companies like Rolls Royce, um, and um, Mercedes Benz. That's cheeky of them. Pardon? Yeah, it's very cheeky. Uh, and like yeah. the major like uni um 
oh, it's not UNICEF, um, Uni, Unila, the one that does like water and stuff like that. Um, okay. Yeah. So um, the starting like salaries for a lot of big companies were really low for HR. And it's the nature of HR. Like I said, a lot of companies don't want to invest. So I mm. ended up getting a, um, my first job. It was advertised it's a major it was one of a it was a it's a big tech company or big um it company um but they're big in america so their 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 offices here aren't that massive but it was a, right. it was advertised as a grad scheme role it was only for six months but it was 25k now you're probably okay. thinking, okay well it's only for six months so technically you're only earning like twelve and a half thousand pounds fine but what you're able to then say is you had a salary of 25k and then you build on that um, of course and it was outside of london too so my advice would be kind of like look for hr assistant roles hr admin roles and assistant roles are not looking for many years of experience they're looking for someone who's graduated someone who like can do basic admin that's really what you're looking for because at those levels you're not doing the major big hr things i was lucky that the first role i had allowed me to have um a mere experience which is like europe middle east and africa so okay i was able to like cap like build off on that kind of thing because it's really important in international companies but honestly i'd just say apply for roles um, and do experience as well, like whilst you're working, like whilst you're studying, the certain mm-hmm. companies like are more than happy to have all hands on deck, like do some HR experience um, Definitely. and then build from there. But once you with HR, once you've got a year or two years experience, you're almost like good to go. Um, also, you mm. it's personality mainly as well. Like people who work in HR, we have such a bad rep, but we're the most like <laughs> friendly and personal people because that's interesting yeah that you say that because um you know i'm, I'm yeah like you said um you have a bad rep and, and i think everyone more or less um has an example of having a bad um situation with an hr person or recruitment um so why do you think that is then why why is it why is it a case that whenever people need to speak to hr or or recruitment is always you know in a negative light because usually people never really go to hr recruitment for good things so first of all like with recruitment as i as i said like in-house recruitment is quite new so Mm -hmm. people want someone like if a hiring manager comes and he wants to hire someone he wants that person here yesterday and they don't want to have to deal with all the processes we as individuals know why we have these processes in place and how they make recruitment mm-hmm. better and easier but they don't and they don't want to deal with that so right. they see us as blockers now hr as well again managers rarely well managers aren't the main problem but employees rarely come to us for anything good so it's usually a grievance or worse yet so there's, there's some people who go through their whole life cycle in a company and only speak to hr when they want to leave and for for those people you know that's great but then you have people who HR have to contact for misconduct or um issues other issues um it might be performance issues um or unfortunately redundancy or do you know if it's a manager right. um the way a manager handles situation there's so many things so 
people again see us as blockers. They see yeah. us like these people that are obsessed with rules and making everybody's life difficult when that mm. really isn't the case. Um, but we we have to keep things in check. So yeah, a- and I feel like um, there's like a, I guess there's some sort of misconception in terms of whether HR is for the actual people mainly mm. um, defending the company with a little interest for the actual employees mm. if you if you get what I'm saying yeah, I um, so I don't know if that that's something that I've always wondered yeah. seen yeah and I've always seen with um, you know with many many examples where you know people get made redundant or there's some type of conflict mm. uh, between the employee and then and the company itself mm. and um, you ask them whether they've been to HR and the answer is like yes but they, they don't do nothing and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, you reckon is there something that can be done in terms of helping that gap to get to be better or is it just nature of the business I think heart it's half and half it is nature of the business and we will always be seen this way just because of the sheer nature of what we do but I think building that gap does come from, and I think it varies. The The rep HR have in companies vary in terms of how HR have dealt with employees. And there's, there's so many basic things you don't even think about that affect the way companies view HR. I've always mm. noticed that in companies where HR sit in an open plan area, they're viewed, be- they're viewed better. But it's difficult because we deal with a lot of sensitive issue that issues and work that can't be just out in the open for anyone to see. So it's basically yeah. things like that. I think in order to bridge that gap, HR just needs to be a lot more visible, which is difficult mm. because we don't bring money into the business. So there isn't the incentive to make us hyper visible. But if we were a bit more visible... I think the employees would see us differently. Right, right. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it has, I guess it adds an element as well of, uh, I guess, interaction and and positive, like, I guess, yeah, yeah. like a positive um, feedback, yeah. I guess, in a way, yeah. um, saying, saying someone that, you know, um, might be the person that interviewed me or, or I guess, made an introduction. Yeah. Um. So, how do you see um yourself in terms of the experience that you've gone? So, you know, when you start off compared to where you are now, mm-hmm. um, as it as you been a smooth sailing journey, has it been uh, harder as you gained more experience? Um, have you find yourself? It's been in your work training in the sense I've always had work. So I, right. I'm ext- I put myself in a really good position where I'm extremely employable. Um, and I leave wherever I leave, I leave with such a good reputation that I know that they will always speak well of me should the mm. need arise. But it's also difficult. And I think everybody has this in their, in their job as well. So I might not be unique in this. You always feel under underpaid I suppose in a sense I'm I'm paid mm. quite well don't don't get me wrong and comfortable but you always think to yourself actually you know you sit there and you're looking at listening to someone coming and asking you how to do xyz and you say to yourself I should be doing their job 
yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you have moments like that, then you say to yourself, okay, how do I take myself to the next level? Level, um, right. HR is quite, it's, it's an amazing area to work in, but you're not going to be making millions. If you mm. the top earners in, biz, in business in the country, I doubt any of them are working HR. Like I said, it's <laughs> yeah. not, yeah. it's not massively funded. The, 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 the business rarely ever sees value in the work that we do. So you're not going to be earning millions. And I guess that's what sometimes can be scary about it. Cause you look at other um, jobs like investment banking or even being a solicitor and there's a lot more money there than you'll ever make in HR. But Again, I, I think looking at work itself or roles or jobs, whichever way you wanna you wanna look at it, um, you have to work in a role that suits you, your personality and yeah, you have definitely. So Yeah. And it's uh, interesting that you mentioned money, um, because I've got I've got two questions um in terms of that. So um the first one is should um, an employee I guess, or anyone really, discuss their salary when um, between teammates, because I know it's not something that mm. people, a lot of people do. Um, and second question is, uh, when speaking to um, HR, you know, actually to recruiters and stuff like that, mm. should you um, disclose your salary when you're trying to, I guess, move up? So, for example, you know, you're on 25K, 8K, whatever. Mm. Um, you know, you're getting called back from, from recruiters, but you don't feel the need to say your salary. Should, or should, that, be, should that be included regardless? Mm. So the first question is, should salary be discussed? I definitely think it should be more normalised in the UK for salary to be discussed amongst mm-hmm. employees. I think... There, are, most companies have bands, and within that band, you'll have like a range, and yeah. it's a good way to figure out if you're um, overpaid. Sometimes you have to be ballsy. Um, one of my first salary increases I got, I got from being ballsy and saying, "Well, actually, this person's on this, and why am I on this?" Mm. I went away mm. back and said, "Well, you know, you being privy to that information shouldn't allow you to." You shouldn't use that to renegotiate, but we're going to increase it. So it was a bold move, you know. It was yeah, 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 yeah. the day it got me where I wanted to go, um, and it should be normalized. You know, you you should be able to negotiate. You should be able to. And the worst that can happen is you're told actually no. Um, That's but, it. But it should yeah. be normalized, and I think conversations should be had about what people earn. But I think it's a lot more to do with British society than working. I think people mm. money is quite a i don't know it's a delicate subject it's, yeah 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 okay so the second question which was about um whether you should discuss your salary when negotiating um or when when approached approached by recruiters my advice to everyone is don't discuss your salary discuss what you want okay um when i decided i was to, before i was in like a permanent job that was actually a permanent one and I decided, you know what, I'm worth so much more. Um, and at mm-hmm. that point, I wanted to double my salary. I didn't right. discuss what I was on at that point. I discussed what I wanted. Okay, so um, 
mm. let's let's give a, a, a an exact example right because some people may not know how exactly to approach it mm. so you get um a caller a caller a recruiter calling you up and say oh hi i think you're good for this um, specific role mm. um what's your salary at the moment because mm. that's what they usually say right mm. um how would someone counter back in that sense then i think you need to shift the conversation okay if don't forget like especially if you're being headhunted so i was headhunted quite a bit and mm. I was headhunted by a really really big company and when you're headhunted you have the you're at, at that point in time especially when it's a recruiter headhunting you so if it's like a recruitment agency sorry headhunting you you have the power that person wants to get you in there and get their commission so okay. their benefits to kind of like dance to your tune so mm-hmm. at that point you shift the conversation and just be like what are they offering do you know what I mean like that you have to mm. change the narrative um and then I think later on when that conversation comes up about what salary are you on then you can kind of whatever but I think very early on there isn't any need because what happens when you go is that 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 recruitment agency person they're they are there to like bridge the gap they want to get you into that job they want the company that they're um that they're uh they've been hired for as well or they've been contracted to do the business for they want them happy so if the job is a job where the band and you never know the band that's the annoying thing so if the band is it could be like 50 to 70k so 70k is the top end 50k Mm -hmm. is the lower end in your current job you're on 40k you go to them and you say oh i'm you know blah 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 they could even say 45k or they could say 50k meanwhile you are just as capable as the person who's getting 70 so i think early on in negotiations keep the conversation about what your desired salary is and I found I get asked my desired salary first before what I'm currently on. The currently on usually comes after like a first interview. It might come before the first interview, but mm. I'd always say wet their palate before you have that conversation. Um, so you can easily just, if they, if you're asked, you have that conversation, talk about more what the role is about and then say, okay, well, you know what, currently this is the salary I'm looking to, to go to. I, w- I wouldn't, want to move for anything less and be honest with yourself when you make that statement because I did that when I was contacted and what happened was rather than miss out on an opportunity they went back to this big company and the company was like okay we have actually got a much more senior role can she oh nice and then I interviewed for that kind of thing so I think don't ever sell yourself short just be very assertive and be honest with yourself say to yourself okay if you know you want 70k as a salary but you're with you could you but 60k would still be a really great step up then say to the recruiter you know what I'm after 70k kind of thing and I will not settle for anything less than 65 above what you want but you're being honest with yourself because there's no need scrambling and setting settling for 50k but really you're kicking yourself when do you know what I mean? So yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Oh, no, makes sense. Um, and I think people will definitely appreciate um this this tip that you gave them. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think bothers me um uh, or, or and I've seen 
people talking about is um the need of recruiters i guess collecting your cv for mm-hmm. fun mm-hmm. um so you know i and i've experienced this before where you know i've spoken to a recruiter and um the they told me about a specific job and it seems okay, it seems fine. And later they just go ghost. Mm. And it's like, hold on, wait, what, what just happened? You know, mm. we was having a good conversation and, and it seemed to go in the right direction. Mm. You know, I can understand if this is, I guess, after the first interview, um, not that I, it, I would expect it, but I can say, yeah, maybe... I wasn't good enough or something happened, whatever. Mm. Um, but this even happens before where, you know, they'll grab all of your details, give you the company's name. Mm. And uh, and yeah, they just, just go ghost. Um, is, there, is there any reason for that? Do you have any take on that? So it's really not good when recruiters do this, but obviously working in recruitment myself, I see the other end. First of all, like what happens sometimes is a role comes up, companies are like, yeah, yeah, yeah we want to get this role, da, 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 da you as the recruiter you're doing your thing doing your thing doing your thing and then suddenly they're like actually you know what we've had a restructure in the business and this role no longer exists or actually we're changing the nature of the role we'll come back to you and at that point you know and sometimes it even takes them ages to do that so they could gather all these cvs put forward all these amazing people leave it with the hiring manager and the hiring manager doesn't come back. They chase, they chase, they chase, they chase. And by the time mm. they come back, it's been ages. And sometimes it's actually at the point where it's been so long, it's embarrassing to go back to that candidate. So, right. like, you know what? It's the same thing as when you're ghosting in a romantic situation. When you <laughs> come back and it's been so long, you're like, it's actually cheeky. Even go and say something to this person. Let me know. Yeah. And that's what you yeah. find in those situations. It's usually not that they've hired someone else and just ignored you. It's a lot more likely that the manager's end of things, so the employee, so if it's a recruitment agency you're going from, because usually in house, it's a lot better. In house, they have smaller CV pools, so it's easier to get back. But when it's external, yeah. you forget that that one. Like so, but that one recruitment agent that works for, let's say, page personnel, that role he's dealing with that you're you've been contacted about, that's one of maybe however many roles he has, and he's chased and chased the hiring manager. He's not getting back to him. It's really bad, but you're kind of like the last thing on his mind. He's more focused on that role that if he puts someone in, he gets the commission, and that's the problem with working with agencies and why I describe right. it because recruitment agencies people who work in recruitment agencies are salespeople. they aren't mm. recruitment they don't have they don't care about best practice or best fit or even if you're happy in that company a lot of times or if you're even the best person for the job what they right. want is they have their base salary each person they put in is commission for them they want that commission in their hand and that's what you find a lot of the times there are a few niche agencies where it's different and they're more invested but for the most part, it's like that. And this is why they go ghost because unfortunately that role doesn't really exist. You're not going to bring them in money. They're moving on. It's not from a bad place. A lot more times it's the company itself that's the the, the bottleneck. And by the time they're coming back, these people are, are way onto something else. And that's what you find. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um it's it's interesting. I think uh, it's uh, good to know as well. Mm. Because at least people will be I guess more aware and and maybe a little bit more considerate mm. 
yeah, um, moving forward. My advice would be just like don't fall in love with a role. I always say that to people. Like I stopped myself from falling falling in love with roles. Like it's literally like when you're swiping on like Tinder. Don't fall in love with anyone based on what you see. Just wait when you lots meet and everything is clicking cool. It's the same with roles. Like if you like see a role, you really like it. If you're contacted, don't fall in love until you've had that first, even second interview. So much can change between the first and second interview. Just that is so true. I mean, I've, I've fell in love with a few roles in my life, <laughs> and it's been like, yeah. and it's been like um, a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, yeah, this is the perfect role. You know, perfect location, perfect pay, perfect benefits. I've had a good uh, initial conversation, and later it's just silence. Yeah, yeah, it's happened. I I've seen it from the other side where I've seen managers really eager to hire bring in someone yeah. the person is perfect they're happy and then the next day there's a meeting where it's like actually no you know things have changed overnight and we really cannot you know this role right now is not the, the top of our list and that's it that person just is a thing of the past so it's it's crazy okay no, understandably um and so to summarize what would you say um three top skills that um, a recruiter or in-house recruiter should have. Sorry, repeat that again. I was saying to summarize, um, what do you think are three top skills a recruiter um, or in-house recruiter should have? So three top skills I would say would be, you have to be really, you have to have a really, really good eye for detail. Um, Combing through CVs sometimes I've, the most I've gone through cvs in a day i'd say like 400 that was for a very in a day in a day it was a very specific wow. um you have to have a good eye for detail and you have to be really good at listening because you need to listen to hiring manager pick up on like those one or two kind of key things he'll say about the role and then right look for that that in a in a um in in a cv it's funny to say this, but you need to have really good conflict resolution because you need to buy over the trust of hiring managers. You need to convince them that what you're trying to convey is the best way and mm. sell it to them, essentially, because they don't want to hear it. So you kind of have okay. to force them to hear it, but you have to well, you have to sweeten them up. Kind of understood. And I'd say the third thing as well is you really just have to be a personable person. Like, if you're not a people person, it's not the job for you. It doesn't matter what level of working in recruitment you work, you're in. It requires a certain, like, je ne sais quoi, chemistry. Like, you have to be, people really have to want to work with you. Because in an interview you need this working with the teams you need this you have to if you're not a people person if you don't really like spending time around people if you also don't draw your energy from people I wouldn't say it's such I don't know how many times a day I leave my desk and you go there you laugh with people you walk to get coffee and in that and in that moment you've built a relationship and then when you need that person for something you can call on them um so it, it requires a lot of dancing and theatrics and I feel like if you're not a people person you'd rather just be by your on your desk doing like 
minimal interactions that might be best for you might be best yeah yeah understandable yeah makes sense and you know you need to be likable and uh, and so forth mm. um thank you so much obviously for for this i think everyone will appreciate and um mm. let's move on on to our dilemma of the day oh, um man. and i think you're the perfect person to start off our new segment of the five to nine work dilemma mm. um so our listener emailed mm. in and this is um her dilemma she goes hello five to nine talk my name is lisa and i currently work in the sales team of four people i've been with this company for over three years and i love it however i've been having an issue with one of my team members who i'm very close to and we even socialize outside of work from time to time. Recently, in the past few months, whenever we report to our manager, our new strategy team, our new strategy sales ideas, she started taking credit for all of the ideas, even though it's a collective effort. We've mentioned this a few times to her, and she just laughs it off, promising that it won't happen again until the next meeting is this something that we should mention to our manager or should we lay pass mention it to your manager i think so yeah so i, I guess the, the the summary of it is she's taking someone else's credit yeah. well the, the the people's credit mm-hmm. and, their own. Um, and sorry yeah go on how would you so i would say mention it to your manager people forget like work is work play is play there's nothing wrong with making friends with colleagues but ultimately it's not that it's a it's the hunger games or anything but Mm -hmm. you're there to earn a salary you're there to progress you're there to make your mark in the business and come appraisals and this is why one of my biggest the best advice people be keep a work diary when it's time for your appraisals you need to be able to articulate what it is you've done over the years and you need to be able to take ownership of what you've done over that year or whether it's mid-year or year. So I think don't hesitate. And it could be, and there are so many politely passive aggressive professional ways to call people out on their crap, like in a meeting Yeah. when okay. something like this is raised, you could easily just say, actually, Sarah, <laughs> Really interesting you said that because I really remember working on this and this and this with that person. And I do it all the time. I see a team member might be wanting to take credit and I'll be like, I, I can't, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so true, you know. Mm-hmm. Actually, when me and Michael were working on this, we said this and this, or that, oh, in a previous conversation that I had with Jonathan about mm. this, this, and then by the time we start speaking, it's very clear that you were the one that, you know, actually had this in the park so it doesn't have to be confrontational you've raised it with her she's well aware of what she's doing and she's continuing to do that absolutely fine but you just do your thing don't the same way she feels no type of way about you know taking all this credit you go ahead and make it make sure it's known what you've contributed and I think once you've done that once or twice other team members will will follow suit and she'll start to look a bit like a clown yeah, definitely, definitely, and I think that's a um a great, great advice there um for Lisa because um we are not directly going towards the manager as a as like a cry for help, mm. however we are we are we are putting down our foot and say um well this is not 
how quite it went down. And obviously, and you have the the data to prove it. Um, so yeah, I think Lisa, if you're listening, then um, hopefully you 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 take on board. Yeah. Um, now moving on into one final flash round where I will ask you just uh, five to six simple questions. No right or wrong answers. Just uh, personal opinion there. Mm-hmm. Yes, so first question, what are you doing when this Corona lockdown is over? Oh, I'm saying first thing. Well, <laughs> You're still yeah, when the lockdown itself is over, which the way UK is behaving, it won't be too long. I'll be home. Um, yeah. I just want to kind of watch and see if there's going to be a second wave or not, how people are handling it before I do anything crazy. But when I do decide to leave my house, I probably would be looking to, I guess, travel as to wherever I can that's remotely safe. Um, I need a break from this country. Okay. And that ties in with the second question. Um, where, where's the best place you ever traveled to so far? Uh, so we've been talking about it this whole time, yeah. like this whole lockdown. So last year in August, we went on a, so we've been on, we'd been on one cruise before, but we went on a second one for my mom's 50th. There right. were about 60 odd guests that came on the cruise. Um, and it went to, so that we, we all flew to Miami met there did a dinner after Miami we hopped on the cruise it went to Honduras it went to two Mexican islands and the Bahamas that was the best holiday I've ever been to I wouldn't say it was the best any of those were the best places I've been to the best place I've been to St. Martin Mm -hmm. that holiday was incredible I mean it was just a cruise I'd recommend 10 out of 10 would tell people do a cruise um so much fun family, friends, you know, my parents were doing their things with their friends. We were doing our things with our cousins and our Sounds great. It was, yeah, it was, if I had known that that would be one of the last enjoyments <laughs> I enjoyed for a while, I would have enjoyed it just a bit more, but yeah. Okay. Um, favorite TV show or movie of all the time? <gasps> oh my gosh. I just decided my favorite movie of all time. It's Lady yeah. Father and Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born. That's my favorite okay. movie. Um, I watched it for the first time, not the two like a week or two, no, two weeks ago, and then I rewatched it last night. Uh, it has everything I love in movies, so mm-hmm. really, really love that movie. Favorite TV show, The Office US. I've rewatched every episode like more times than I can count. I know every episode off by heart. Um, absolutely, <laughs> great. Yeah. All right. Um. Best invention of all the time, in your opinion? Best invention of all time, pasta, carbs. <laughs> carbs. <laughs> this is the first time someone says um, food-related invention. So. The kind of person I am. The first uh, time anybody ever thought of carbs, shout out to that person who did an amazing job for you. Carbs, um, best thing ever. I'm so happy. Finally, again, this relates to my following question. Um, a meal that everyone should try in this world that you've tried? That everyone should try. It's not my favourite food, but right. I think everyone should just try it once because it's actually quite delicious. So I would yeah. say um, crocodile. No, gator. Wow. Alligator. I had alligator. Not 
Um, okay. Yeah, we went visiting like this, like alligator swamp thing, in um Miami and um or in Orlando actually somewhere in Florida, and um we had gator nuggets at the end and they were really delicious. Wow. wow. Okay. It's not like it's my favorite food or anything. Like they were really great. I'd have them again, but I just think you should try it because it's something everyone should try once a day, once an hour. Okay. Yeah. Um. Last but not least, uh, your favorite app. My favorite app. <clears throat> Love hate relationship with this one currently, but I'd say Twitter. Okay. Yeah, just been a bit toxic recently. I think it's because everyone's like at home. And Too much time on the arms. Yeah, so it's been a bit wild, but it's definitely my favorite app because it's a really good place for me. I just think it's a great forum for my personality to show. Um, I love interacting with the people I interact with regularly. They're such good, great vibes. And um, also, I just think it's it's funny. Like, it's always funny. There's, there's always something. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you so much, obviously, for, for coming on. Um, where can people find you for if you have um, Instagram, Twitter, anything you want to? I'm on, on Twitter. It's four ends with an underscore. And you can find me on Instagram. It's four ends with two underscores. Perfect. Perfect. Um, again, thank you so much, obviously, for coming on and, and explaining your job role and explaining, giving us tips. Um, and, um, my pleasure. Great. And um, guys, as always, thank you for listening. And on to the next one. On to the next one. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends and family. If you would like to speak about your role and career journey, or anything related to work, then all you have to do is follow the 5 to 9 talk account on Instagram and just send over a message. As always, you may be smart, but keep things simple.